Hi, I'm Elise. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 8, Little Green Men, teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by James L. Conway. This episode aired on November 15th, 1995. I misspoke last episode and said that Starship Down aired November 13th, 1995, but it was really November 6th. I'm not sure where the 13th came from, but I realized in my notes today that that was wrong, so I figured I'd correct it. This week on Deep Space Nine, a malfunction on Quark's new ship causes Quark, Rom, and Nog to crash in the year 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. So Elise, I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, assume you remembered this episode because it's a, a pretty memorable one. Um, yes, I definitely remembered this very fun episode. Um I forgot to mention this to you before, so this is very much like me just saying this off the cuff, but we got another email from Lauren, who had emailed us previously, and I think this is wonderful. She has gotten so excited that she sent me little blurbs about all the various episodes that that are coming up (laughs) on our podcast, and the first one was about Little Green Men. Can you read it? Yeah, so let me um, start off by just, like, the, the earlier part of um, her email. Hi, I figured I would send over my thoughts on scattered episodes I love in Season 4. Overall, I think Season 4 is really where DS9 hits its stride. There's compelling episodes to develop every single character, even ones with less screen time than the regulars. And the world building really just expands. The show really starts to feel lived in in a good way and like Elise said I start to feel like I'm living on Deep Space Nine too. My favorite thing about the show is how specific each character's voice is. The writers 100% knew their characters once they gave up on Julian being hopelessly infatuated with Jadzia and it's so fun to see them interact and clash in different ways and okay so um for Little Green Men It says, this episode is hilarious. The way the humans at Roswell are terrified of Quark, Rom, and Nog when they're the least intimidating characters on the entire show. Quark thinking he's found heaven in 20th century Earth because of capitalism had me rolling. Most Star Trek thing, characters are going to Earth and we don't get to see the 24th century Earth at all. (laughs) This happens a little too frequently, to be honest, (laughs) she said. I love that. But yes, I remember this episode. I remember how fun it was. Um, just like they're cursing Cousin Gala all the time. I don't even remember. Is Cousin Gala a name that we've like heard before? Because it sounded so familiar and I didn't know if I just like memory, like like I made up that it was an, a relative of theirs that we'd heard of already. Yeah, you know what? Truth be told, I don't recall if... if- Gala had been been mentioned at this point because it's just something that I like yeah. remember. Um, but I do know that Cousin Gala does appear eventually in the flesh. Love it. Um, so. I think I think it'd be really funny if Cousin Gala was just like a bit and we like never met 
cousin Gala. Also, uh, I feel like we probably heard about him before like yeah. that, but then that then at one point they like just introduce him. Yes. Um, which is fine. I'm not like saying how dare they, but like it would be cute if it was just like there's a in in my so-called life, there's a character named Tino that everyone knows. And like you literally never meet Tino. Like he's never on screen, <laughs> no idea what he looks like. And it's just like a really funny bit. Um I was reading up a little I guess, bit. Sorry, oh. go ahead. I was just gonna say I think DS9's version of that bit is the the Morn is apparently talkative, but we never hear yeah. them talk thing. No, no, I would I would agree with that. I'm laughing that Morn got to like run the bar, I guess, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> um so I was reading up on this and this episode and it was written and planned to be an homage to 50s B movies, um, according to the Deep Space Nine Chronicles. And um, Robert Hewitt Wolf had explained that all the characters are arch- archetypes from those movies. The sort of human nurse, I mean, <laughs> I think it's funny that he said sort of, because she definitely is human, um, who sees beyond appearance and the tough cigar chomping general and the sort of traitorous mid-level military officer and the noble scientist. And it was just so much fun to play with all of those archetypal archetypal science fiction characters um sort of give a nod to even sorry sort of give a nod even beyond the original series but a nod to all these great movies from the 50s which made star trek possible in the first place the idea of like using all of those those recognizable archetypes i think was was definitely fun for sure and i i don't have the memory alpha open in front of me right now but it talks about how the names of the figures at at roswell who are those archetypes are all derived from other like 50s sci-fi b movies and things like that so i think that's definitely definitely really cool and the idea that like star trek especially like now but as it goes on like keeps kind of referencing its itself and going back and it's kind of fun to go like even even before that there too um, I did want to call out specifically that the general was played by Charles Napier, who folks may recognize from several Jonathan Demi films, was definitely part of the the Demi kind of crew and, and group of players that would always kind of pop up in a, a small, small, at least a small role or one scene kind of role in various, you know, places and, and context and things like that in Demi films. But also Charles Napier was in the TOS episode, the way to Eden, which is the one with the space hippies. And he plays the fun loving guitar, <laughs> space guitar playing yeah. space hippie, which can, I think is fun. Cause it couldn't be a more opposite yes, it's type of character opposite. than our, our general. Yeah. So AJ and I actually in, cause we had just finished our TOS rewatch and so we just watched that episode like within the last month or two um so aj pointed out to me that that was the same actor because i i knew i knew him probably just from movies in general um but i didn't make the connection that that was the older version of the space hippie so for once i um i wasn't the one who was like oh it's that guy from that thing (laughs) <laughs> well you know just don't be a herbert and we'll, we'll be, we'll be all, good. <laughs> all good and if listeners haven't seen the tos episode the way to eden they're like what's a herbert and it's like well watch the space hippie episode and you'll find out um i definitely recommend it but it's also i don't think it's good 
No, and let's not to get too like too far down the track. But what's interesting about that is you know like how Chekhov's ex girlfriend and it's like yes. Chekhov all this like thing. So originally that character was going to be McCoy's estranged oh, daughter yes, yes, who I was going. That. Joanna, I think, was the name that they had picked for, and yeah, she was uh, going to have be a like love interest of the week for Kirk and I'm I'm really glad that they went away from that because that would have been I feel like they would have fumbled the bag on that on lots of different levels. I so I think if they had her be McCoy's estranged daughter and still had it as a love interest for Chekhov, I would have been completely fine with that. Um I'm I don't need that character to be McCoy's estranged daughter and so I'm fine that yeah. it wasn't the case but I agree with you that I don't think having because I know Bones is older I not I'm not good I don't mean this in like an age discourse kind of way like I know Bones is a little bit older than than Kirk but they're very much contemporaries and it just yeah they're such close friends that it just I don't think that they would have handled that correctly either to be no, like yeah I'm no, gonna I agree my bestie's daughter um, I, yeah, no. Star Trek's not the place. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and I can, I mean, on, on one hand, like, again, I don't want to do, like, age discourse, but yeah. it's, like, if you imagine that, like, Kirk's, like, oh, is, is, like, you know, early to mid-30s, mm-hmm. and maybe Bones is, like, 10, 15 years yeah. older, and then has a daughter in her early to mid-20s, it's, like, you can see how someone like Kirk's age, it's, like, you know, it's, like, you see those things where it's all, like, oh, if you're like, you know, some like early 30s, like on like reels or TikToks or whatever, it's like, if you're under 25, I swiped on you because I can date you or your dad, like, like that thing. But also like, I don't, yeah, I don't need to see that in, in, in Kirk, 60s Star Trek. Kirk already does date her dad. <laughs> They're in yeah. a throuple. <clears throat> so little green men. Um, this episode was also a favorite of Armin Shimmerman, who obviously we know plays Quirk. Um, he said, it's a favorite of the fans. It's a favorite of mine. It was a major catalyst in the investigation of the family relationship. There's even a comment in the episode about like grooming and father sons and stuff like that. That was me adding to the, like that was not part of the quote. Back to the quote. <laughs> it was one of the first episodes where we see the Ferengi working together as a family. And that was the beginning of an avalanche of stories about that. I just feel like there's a lot of fun comedy in this episode. Like the humans mimicking Quark, Ram, and Nog. Like everyone just being themselves. And not just being like one note. And I, like, and I think... Um, the email is is right on, and like you know what we've been talking about the last couple episodes with with Julian and specifically you know the the subtext being coming textual last week in in Starship Down, um, but it's really like finding to like quote the email back that you just read, <laughs> but it's really finding each character's voice and then yes. like different like facets of it. It's like we've talked initially about how ds9 was set up as like the frontier town and like okay quark's still like you know unscrupulous bartender and he still is that but like the idea of the relationships and like the performativeness of of quark in general and the ferengi and even this is the rom that we both recognize and remember and that idea like where 
it's like, oh, I've always been smart. I've just lost, I've just yeah. lacked self-confidence. Yes. And like, that's the way they like, it's a, it's, it's true. It's a joke. It serves several levels so they can like do something. But again, it's like the multifacetedness. And then, you know, we're moving Nog's plot forward. He's going to the Academy. It's yeah. No, we love to see I it. legitimately paused the show when I was rewatching it this morning after Rom's. I just lack self-confidence to be like, mom, because my mom was watching with me. Um, and I was just like, this is the Rom I love. <laughs> I literally <laughs> said it out loud. I also want to say that she giggled a lot at the archetypes. Like, she really enjoyed that. Um, I mean, my mom is 70, so obviously... Um, she was born in the 1950s, so I think she did watch some of those when she was a little older. So it was really interest- fun for her to see a play on, on that. So Nog is on his way to Starfleet Academy. With the comedy even starts initially when there's the auction of selling off your boyhood goods when you go off to your apprenticeship. Worf is really interested in a tooth sharpener. Jadzia <laughs> buys a smutty Holosuite program for julian and it's like what i guess it's like you're not there with nog so it's like what i want nog's use smut i don't know i guess it's like boring his movie but i'm acting it out but like also you know what it's it's, i guess it's not quite like using someone else's sex toy but it kind of feels like using someone else's sex toy it's it's holographic there's no cum on anything so it's safe well i mean the lower deck staff clean that out right yeah that's true i meant like there wasn't like a shared magazine that was the pages were sticky. <laughs> no, no, pages are sticky. But also, like, what a beautiful friendship that they have. That she is buying a like a smutty thing for Julian. Like that is the energy that I want to bring to my friendships. Yeah. No. Oh, amen. We love to see it. <laughs> Quark gets you know the spaceship from cousin Gala, plays him back, and is like, hey. I'm going to like, you know, not supportive of Nog going to Starfleet, but hey, I'm going to be a good uncle and we'll, we'll take a, we'll hop in the space Winnebago and, you know, we'll go on a, the holiday road to Earth. <laughs> now I'm going to be singing that song. Holiday road, holiday road. There we go. I haven't sung on the pot in a while yeah it has been quite some time um but i mean in reality quirk is like we can swing by orion on the way back and smuggle this chemocyte which i don't know if i even remember what chemocyte is i don't think it really matters. i don't has it even been mentioned before Who knows? i don't know <laughs> it does not um but like besides the fact that Co- cousin gala clearly like is sabotaging them um quark like really makes rom like push this ship which is called the quark's treasure um (laughs) to the limit he keeps telling him to go over the safety allowance of like warp he's like another tenth or whatever and i'm just like you've never flown this ship before um and you're just gonna like push it to the limits is this one of the first times we really get to see like engineer Rom? Like I know he fixes like the hollow suites and stuff from time to time, but like I didn't realize until now. I mean, I know from watching the show that he can like fix up a, a ship like Rom rules. He knows science. <laughs> I mean, I feel like he's done techie stuff before, but yeah. Right. Uh, Fair. I just am always impressed by him. 
So they go through some sort of like weird thing happening. You don't really get to see it, but it like warps into like oblivion basically. But they wake up uh, in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, um, which is really wonderful. Um, And there's so many nods to like the actual rumors of what happened in Roswell, New Mexico. Like, oh, we told them it was a weather balloon or something like that. Mm-hmm. No. So we have Lieutenant General Denning in charge. He's um, Charles Napier. We have Nurse Garland um, and her fiance, who is a professor. I, my mom giggled so much at the line. And we didn't just invite you here because you're Nurse Garland's fiance. <laughs> it's always like, it just felt so like tropey in a fun, fun way that I really enjoyed. So I don't, did they ever say what this guy was like a professor of? Nope. Nope. Doesn't <laughs> matter. That. Though. It's it really just the, doesn't the matter. Ex- yeah. So funny. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I forgot to mention that who gave Nog the Earth guidebook earlier? Was that O'Brien? Uh, Miles and Julian. Julian. They got him this like Earth guidebook and he was like kind of disappointed in it, but also like it, it, it really came in handy. Um, although. <laughs> Upon seeing the um, the military at Roswell, he thought that their uniforms were um, Australian, which I think is... <laughs> yeah, well, and it's like, this isn't my candidate for most Star Trek thing for this week, but it could have been. I know we've, we've used it before, but the idea that it's like each pad is a specific like digital book instead of having one tablet that can like hold several books it's just yes it is oh it is completely funny because now it would be like okay the present would be like i bought you this kindle book to add to like the pad you already have (laughs) or whatever um yeah i i do love that like each i just feel like your bookshelf would be so ugly with all the pads yeah they'd like they'd all be the same color like how would you know the difference i guess you'd have to like alphabetize them but 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 we do know that like there's some hybrid of like a physical printing of a book with that screen from the visitor right when we see like Mm -hmm. the future um the future jake's published version of like ansem and everything else it's like a book has a bit of like a screen in it but like also like you know, so I don't know if that's the illustrations or whatever. So there's some form of modern um, literature that has like a book that's not like digital, but I'm sure it's maybe it's kind of like vinyl now where it's just like a niche collector thing. Yes. Okay. I, I understand. Yeah, that was a good. Uh, that was funny. I love it. Did you think I guess go back to the original the first time you saw the episode, if you remember, or even rewatching it? Um, did you remember that Quark wasn't traveling to Earth on Quark's treasure? Um, would be, uh, do, 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 sorry. What wasn't truly altruistic? Um, I don't remember if I realized or not, but it all kind of happened so fast that I don't really think the episode gives you time to like contemplate his motives before you find out his motives, if that makes sense. I mean, like, pretty early on when they're on the ship, Nog is like, oh, sorry, Rom is like, yeah, I know what's in the cargo hold or whatever. Yeah. Quark is always up to something. I don't think he ever does anything that's altruistic. 
I would imagine you don't remember what you thought. No, but like, I think it's, I mean, I like to choose. Um, but like, I think it's more of like a two birds, one stone thing. Like, right. I do think part of Quark is wanting to support, support Nog more than he lets on. Right. That's fair. And yeah, I guess we should probably mention we've, we've alluded to it, but I haven't explicitly stated, um, if folks aren't aware, there was a weather balloon incident and or maybe a UFO crashing in Roswell in 47. Um, that's a big part of like, you know, alien lore, you know, it's even the X-Files and like everything else. So like this is referencing, I say a real historical event, a potential real historical I, event. I'm going to say this is Star Trek saying what they joking that this is what really happened. That's, yeah, that's yeah, my, yeah. That's the way I look at it. Like they're saying, "Oh, it was the Ferengi, <laughs> obviously," but then they went away, so it didn't matter. Um, I did really enjoy that when they got to Earth, um, their universal translators were not working, and we finally got to hear what uh, Ferengi sounds like. <clears throat> it was a little Klingony, not as many apostrophes, um, but like you know, a little bit. It definitely sounded like an alien language in in Star Trek universe. <clears throat> it was really funny watching the nurse and the general and the scientist or like the professor watching them try to like fix their universal translator or like like poking at their ears. <laughs> um, when they first meet and they're just mimicking Cork, Nog, and Rom, like that was just like the tapping of their heads like it just all was very cliche but it just works so well and i think it's because armin plays it so straightly like he i don't know he's just such a great comedic actor i just am i'm always impressed well and i think a lot of it comes like you say from like playing it straight or whatever where it's like the situations are like humorous to the audience but it's treated with such utmost care that it like it's it is like life or death for the you know for the for the Ferengi right like it's it's serious business to them and it's like it's not there's pathos there that I think a lot of people wouldn't inject into their performances there's like uh whatever it's the comedy episode right right I I Quark is so smart and he he sees immediately that these the people that he's meeting um are in a very capitalist society um unlike earth in <clears throat> his time um and it's interesting because he the way that they talk about it or the way that they come around to that is the fact that humans are buying and inhaling cigarettes which he is like this is disgusting and ram is like yeah it's basically poison and he was like it's addictive and they buy it. And he was like, okay, well, if they buy this poison, they'll buy anything. So he's like, I know he's like, has this whole vision of becoming this like world dominating leader at this time because he understands capitalism so well. Yeah. Yeah. It's just to pick up on the idea of like the smoking. That was like, that was a bit of a like discussion with 
the network because the yeah, network didn't want to put smoking in there well. in there at all. And Ira was was saying, well, no, to do the B movie thing and to do the time period, we have to do it. But then seeing the finished episode was unsatisfied with how they approached the the critique of smoking and kind of hitting it over the head and being a little too, you know, didactic or, you know, whatever wasn't, wasn't satisfied with how they, how they did that, thought it was a little too after school, especially, which fair enough, I can see that, but but was also really happy with how they approached um, their criticism of, (laughs) and it's funny talking about this um, recording this the weekend that, you know, Oppenheimer came out, but of the atomic bomb, <laughs> right? Right, and the I'm idea like about and the to use of that, that in a couple hours. <laughs> uh, I have tickets for it on Tuesday at the mm-hmm. seventy millimeter IMAX, so super mm-hmm. excited for that. I hope it um, doesn't blow up or whatever has been happening. <laughs> well, they couldn't figure out how to get it to work in Calgary, so hopefully the projectionists in Edmonton are better. Um, but yeah, like, and it's even too like if you look reading on on memory alpha and the quotes it's like oh man i was so cool like he was really upset by how um nuclear weapons were were used in true lies and it being the backdrop of you know the the a big romantic scene with jamie lee curtis and, and arnold schwarzenegger in that movie and it's just like but it's an a-bomb like have we gone so like desensitized to like how horrible these are that now that you know and and things like that so it's just like Ira's cool. I like Ira. I do too. They finally get their um, universal translators working and they're they're except for the reason why they're there. They're pretty straightforward with like how it works to the general, um, which is really interesting. <clears throat> I think it's so funny that this show is just I really one of the my favorite parts was when um, Nurse Garland is so inspired by this meeting of these aliens that she basically like recites the like Star Trek theme. That's like that Kirk and Pike and and um, say at the beginning of the episodes or and Picard really. But like I guess Deep Space Nine is one of the only ones that doesn't have that from like that time. <clears throat> But like she says, strange new worlds. It's just very amusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me a bit of City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Um, kind of that like dreaming beyond sort of thing. But I don't know. We already went on a already went on a tangent earlier. I'll save my city on the edge of forever <laughs> until another time. Um so Quark's big idea to become this like all powerful uh, figure is to sell them the technology that they have um, basically putting earth for a hundred years in the future very quickly. And he lies and says he's the CFO of the Ferengi Alliance. Um, and I think it's really funny because like, general dinning is basically like just don't sell to the russians and like it really <laughs> was so dumb because then it gives quark like oh well then i can just like you know put these two people against each other um it would be really kind of amusing to me if quark was like somehow involved in the cold war <laughs> well yeah it's just and again i know it's doing the 50s like trope thing um this fact will come up again later but earlier this week I saw Star Trek 4 um, 
at my local like rep theater they did a did a screening of it and i'm watching it and there's the whole idea where um the, it's the nuclear vessels scene <laughs> where where Chekhov and Ahura are, are trying to find yes. you know where where the naval base is to plot reasons and when he's going around in his bad fake russian accent like you know the cops staring at him and whatever it's like it's totally like it's funny because it's like a cold war thing and i just wondered how many audiences now 37 years later that would be lost on you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like the humor of why he's getting looked at the way he is um but then again maybe we're circling back to you know cold war type type things with that anyways we have to get into to um (laughs) don't need to get into um russia right now but uh i was just gonna say i think russophobia i think it's come back around so i think that um people would still get it maybe i guess the only thing i was saying so i watched last week i watched um what's up doc for the first time before it was a criterion channel um maybe like six months ago Anyway, and then like the final joke on the end is is a love story reference, which Ryan O'Neill was also in, which it's like, yeah. So the whole thing about like you know the whole thesis statement of love story is that whole like line that like the famous line from it is like love means never having to say you're sorry, and then that's what Streisand's character um sexy buzz bugs bunny, uh, (laughs) because that's basically who she's playing in that movie. Um. That's what she says to him at the end. He's like, and then like the final line before it cuts to at the end of the movie, he's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that's like the big line from like the other movie he's in. So yeah. or one of the other movies he's in. So again, it's, if you don't know that, it's like, it's not gonna be as funny as it was to to audiences back in 70. Yeah. I mean, I knew that. 74, but I yeah. knew that that was a quote from something. So I didn't, I didn't, that was like lost on me. Like I didn't know it was a quote from his other movie with the same actor you know yeah so that's funny how pervy was nog asking nurse garland to massage his ears <sighs> okay more? like this is this is like the okay yeah um it's, it's one of those things where like i'm of two minds of it it's like kind of funny on one level but also it's like umox is basically a hand job and you're like unwittingly getting this poor person to give you a yeah, handy which like, like procedure or something like not great right like but i don't know it can also be like it's yeah i still left i have mixed feelings of on umox um when when i know we're pretty much just going in order of this episode because there's like only really one plot here um but i really i just this this episode had me laughing so much like cork mentioning the only things he knows from earth like baseball root beer and darts like and atom bombs (laughs) that Um, was atom bombs (laughs) uh, so baseball root beer atom bombs (laughs) um one thing i did not remember from this episode was that Odo was there as the dog. Like, where did the other people think the dog came from? Or was there like a dog and then it left and then Odo pretended to be it later? And also, why is Odo so good at dog faces, but he can't do a human face? There are so many questions. 
Um, I just assumed that it's like was one of the like biggest like collection of like military police dogs. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because there you see right. like there would have been dogs around. Although it is kind of weird they just leave the dog in there with the door yes, shut when it like reveals itself. Like, like that was a little was convenient. The, the dog was on watch that shift. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, oh my god. So, like, the dog jumping up on Cork with his arms up, Rom saying, I think he likes you, and then we us finding out if <laughs> was maybe the best thing that I ever saw. Um, that was, like, my Quoto moment of the episode. <laughs> Love it. Again, I really wonder if Odo had a warrant to stow away on <laughs> Quark's treasure and all that. But again, we we know. I also Odo doesn't care about such things. Yeah, I still feel like excuse me. I feel like I was with Quark at the end of that bit. Like, there's no evidence left. <laughs> the chemosite is gone. I also like that the truth serum doesn't work on Quark because the biology is different. Because that's when yeah. the unscrupulous mid-level military police guy starts like interrogating yes. or torturing them for answers. And yeah, there's like lots of lots of good stuff. Like, and it's like we were probably really close to them getting autopsied. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like it, the scene in Independence Day with Brett Spiner and the and the mm-hmm. alien. Um, that yeah. you know kills Brett Spiner. <clears throat> um, but yeah, he kept getting the Quirk scream when he like kept getting like stuck with the needle was was wild. And Rom was crying for oh. Mookie. Nog was <laughs> smartest of all of them. He was like coming up with some nonsense about an attack, and Quirk's just like, "We're helpless. We're harmless. We just want to sell you things." <laughs> <laughs> when he said we just want to sell you things i was like <laughs> uh, i do love that the professor and nurse garland help them escape because they're like fuck these asshole military guys like that one guy was like really shitty um but yeah he was so stereotypical for like that genre it's just really mm-hmm. great <clears throat> and then odo comes and fucks some shit up who's he my hero Oof. I'm like fanning myself. It's chess. <laughs> and then they it's leave like, oh. and General Denning's like, all we ever found was a crashed weather balloon or whatever he said. I love that it was like a reverse time warp and then ride the chemosite home. It's complete nonsense. Um, but it it worked. Yeah, I just Mom overall has found future that, plans. Yes. I overall just found that to be a really fun episode. I don't think it um I know I often like overthink um, and I don't mean that like pejoratively um, what's going on in each episode, but I didn't feel like this episode really lent itself to that. This was just like a fun, a fun romp um, that like just played with played with us a little bit and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's just like, you know, just a little bit of Umox (laughs) and uh, doesn't have to be in doesn't have to be anything more than that. You know, yes. little Umox can just be a fun time um, <laughs> for all involved with consent and full knowledge of all the parties of what, what they're party to. Yes. Now it's time for the Altair water thirst quencher. Altair water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy at the bar in Star Trek three. Elise, who are you thirsting for this week? 
I'm really into that couple that helps them. They're really sexy and into each other and like discussing their engagement plans and like their honeymoon. They're going to go to Niagara Falls. They had like a really nice kiss as well. Um, but I have They're just so horny for each other. No, it made me so happy. I was like, we need we need TV to be hornier again. That's probably why I am going to soon be doing a True Blood podcast. <laughs> we need more horny things in our lives. I'm gonna cheat though, and I have a second one, and it's just perfect. <laughs> it's just. Odo saying to Quark before he left Earth, I'll be counting the days until you get back. Oh, they love each other so much. What about you? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll ape off your first one. I think that the, they're, the professor and, and Nurse Garland were like, you know, pretty horny for each other. If they like looked at me from across the bar and said they dig my vibe, you know, I'd consider it. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I had a similar thought about that. <laughs> Of course you did. I do have two candidates, though, for more Star Trek thing of the oh, episode. Yes, share. Yeah, the first one being this is the third Star Trek time travel plot I've watched this week. Um, the first one being, as I mentioned, I saw Star Trek four in the theater. And this morning, because it dropped early, I watched the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover which also involves time travel so star trek loves time travel um as was mentioned in the email earlier and then also uh, megan gallagher who plays nurse garland has also appeared in multiple episodes of star trek so that's a, a very that's a thing that's happened face to me so i'm kind of assumed that i had seen her before in another track yeah she was previously in season two of ds9 um the invasive procedures i think that's season two mm-hmm. the one where julian glover tries to steal the dax symbiont um and she plays one of the the one that oh, julian yeah. glover's character is like dating morel or yes, something I like remember. that i think yep i completely remember yeah. that yeah and then she's on voyager okay. later in like season seven or something i think got it what's really funny though is when the casting went out for this episode for Nurse Garland, the the thing said they were looking for quote a Megan Gallagher type. <laughs> That's and, really funny, and they got her. And her agent saw that and called the, the producers. Was like, Megan's available. Do you want Megan? <laughs> and then they just offered it to her right away when they realized that she oh, she was that. available to play it. That's so so funny. Didn't audition I think they should like you know ask people first before assuming that they're not available but that's really cute i don't know that this is my most star trek thing but i just wanted to point out that i found it so funny when i guess referencing something that previously happened um in like a fun way that's not like trying to further the plot felt very star trek to me so when when nog is looking through his like earth guidebook and he sees he comes to the bell riots and he sees um gabriel bell and he's like that looks very much like captain cisco and then quark is just like all humans look alike but like obviously we know it was cisco it was a lot of fun all right well until next time elise where can folks find more of you on the internet Yes, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendi. That's T-E-N-D-I. And on Blue Sky at chicken tendi. And you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Blue Sky. Mostly transitioning most of my posting over to Blue Sky at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together at Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Podrace. And you can also email us at podrace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you again to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. Until next time, computer and program. Bye.